gaining momentum with your momentary motivation might just be what you need to achieve your dream. This podcast is about figuring out life and making the best of it, especially when we're going through its challenges as we pursue our dreams. A central theme behind all of my work has always been motivation. Lately, I've started to call the following my trillion-dollar question. Where does motivation come from and how do we harness it? If we can fully figure that out, imagine how good we would be at pursuing our goals and dreams. Since the rebrand of Injured to Elite to Beyond Zero, I've been taking a deeper dive into some fundamental yet complex philosophical questions like this one. And by the end of this episode, a few recent topics are going to tie into what we are talking about today willpower, and motivation. This is Beyond Zero. I am Dr. David Meyer. As much as I have covered some of my own personal moments of adversity in my life, I know how blessed I am. Not only to have the opportunity to do fun and awesome things in my career, but also to have something in surplus throughout my entire life. That is motivation. Sure, sometimes more so than others, but I've always seen to have a lot of intrinsic motivation. But of course, as a human, willpower is just not always there to push me as far as my motivation would sometimes like to go. Or is it possible that we can unleash our conscious ability to do what it is we set out to do from moment to moment? Like many of my recent episodes and the questions they unravel, this took me down a path of research recently that I am excited to share with all of you. Famous physicist of our generation, Dr. Roger Penrose, postulates that there is likely a deeper purpose to the universe than science tells us, although himself takes an agnostic view to religion. Einstein as well believed that there was plenty beyond our understanding. Perhaps this is why scientists might be the most spiritual humans without considering themselves spiritual at all. Does a believer really believe more is out there taking things so basically? There must be a part of them that does not. And is there a greater amount of cognitive dissonance in these individuals than even scientists? Meaning, does a greater part of face value religious believers embody the most disbelief that they somehow are able to consciously reject? And do scientists who look and search for the highest answers perhaps have a greater underlying belief that perhaps, in fact, there is something greater in the universe that can be explained in science. As Dr. Penrose even suggests, a greater intention and purpose behind the universe? Yet many of these scientists consciously reject the idea behind organized religion. But does that make them less of a believer? Why does this tie into motivation? Well, from my research, we can look at motivation as the drive to complete goal-oriented tasks in our lives. Motivation, for example, to walk across your bedroom into the bathroom when you have to relieve yourself. Things based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs that might explain why we show up to work every day so that we can have our basic needs met and financially can provide for a home and meals that keep us satiated. But as I dug deeper into motivation, I realized that there is much more to it. One cannot explore motivation fully if we do not better understand the inner workings of consciousness and free will, which makes this quite a tougher conversation to have 
or at least a more intriguing one. But it's my belief that this is the trillion dollar question in our development. Where does motivation come from and how do we harness it? During my research, I didn't realize it would take me down the path of physics. Many of the things we take for granted, like time, as we explored several episodes ago, and the idea behind consciousness or motivation, must explore all realms of science. So after I started getting into Abraham Maslow, reviewing his work, it took me down the path of humanistic psychology and transpersonal psychology. Specifically, this took me to the work of psychiatrist Dr. Stanislav Grof, who himself worked with Abraham Maslow as the field of humanistic psychology emerged. This branch of psychology looks at the human as a whole, which focuses on concepts like free will and self-actualization. Dr. Groff studied the effects of psychedelics and eventually became an expert in non-ordinary states of consciousness, formerly known as abnormal states of consciousness. Why do I bring all of this up? Well, if we are going to really take a stab at answering my most pressing question on where our motivation or free will comes from and how we harness it, then we must look into what those before us have explored. Whether they're physicists, authors, coaches, or psychologists, to this point there is no simple answer to the question. Answers like, we must control our thoughts, we must simply make the right decisions, we must eat the right foods, surround ourselves with the right people, lean into our struggles, seems to really just not be it for me. Sure, we can talk about the process by which goals are achieved, such as waking up early, exercising, being persistent, etc. But the question isn't what tasks are needed to be done. The question I'm asking is what are the conditions and circumstances that lead one to actually doing these things? Many are quite talkative on how we execute the process, but it doesn't seem, at least from what I've seen, that many are willing to unravel or solve this puzzle. Many times this is only left to curious psychologists, theologians, physicists, and spiritual guides. And here with me during this episode today. And don't forget that people can be tyrannical towards themselves. A lot of times we say, all right, tomorrow I'm going to get up early. And it never happened, right? Because it's like a self-imposed sense of pressure that also can hinder our sense of autonomy, even if we set that goal for ourselves. And we never follow through. That's very intriguing, the cognitive <laughs> piece. Can you unwrap that for me in terms of where you think that comes from? That is Dr. Isaac Zur, a huge mentor of mine that is both a sports psychologist and mental health counselor with his PhD in exercise psychology. In this episode, you're in for a big treat as I speak with some titans of the industry as it relates to motivation and goal achievement. I spoke with Dr. Zur the day following an interview with Jay Papazan, author of the massive best-selling book, the One Thing, co-authored with Gary Keller, founder of Keller Williams, the top real estate firm in the country and whom Jay Papazan serves as the vice president of strategic content and hosts the podcast, Think Like a CEO. Many of what I've shared in the previous hundred episodes is owed to the mentorship and learning 
I have received from Dr. Zur. He has worked with Israeli Special Forces, Olympic fencers, mixed martial artists, and elite soccer players throughout the world. I sought out working with Dr. Zur professionally as I needed to obtain mentorship hours to become a certified mental performance consultant, something that I continue to work towards as one of the few or only physical therapists to do so. But in regards to the topic today, motivation, I knew I needed to finally get Dr. Zur on. This is a topic we discussed throughout our sessions together since I wanted to better serve the performers and athletes I work with in order to help them become more consistent with their work in rehabilitation and performance goals. So he took me to school on intrinsic motivation, an area he is definitely an expert in. So we discussed self-determination theory, something that is used in many facets of coaching, including the nutrition world. He's also done his thesis on leveraging anger in regards to improving physical performance, which we got into a bit as well. So a hundred episodes in, finally you get to hear from another major mentor of mine, Dr. Isaac Zur. Between the two experts you will hear from today, focus on thinking small to think big with your motivation. It's funny you mentioned that, wake up earlier, so the book I read, The One Thing, The One Thing... Mm -hmm. One of the biggest concepts I took away from it was simply a lot of it's block time blocking mm-hmm. and with time blocking also focusing on your one thing. So if my one thing is this podcast, if I don't schedule time for it and wait until I'm tired and hungry at the end of the day, dealing with patients all day, it's going to be very difficult for me to get a good workout in and do my podcast. So mm-hmm. I said, I have to wake up an hour earlier. There's just no excuse. Exactly. It's exactly it. We have to pay close attention to our language. Because when you say, I have to, you're being tyrannical toward yourself. It's like your own dictator. And the issue is not so much whether the source of control is oneself or another. It's whether one is being controlled. And when you say, I have to, or I should, all the demands you impose them on yourself. Instead of, I want to wake up an hour early. I want to wake up. Do you want to? Do you really want to? No, I don't. You don't. Okay, so let's, <laughs> let's explore that. Let's explore that. Okay. If you don't, so don't. Uh, let's investigate that. That's very psychology of you. Or very mm-hmm. psychologisty of you. And that's something that comes up for me a lot. As I've tried to shift my role, myself, my sense of self as a clinician, Dr. Zer, I always tell people I feel like a, how do I say this properly? I feel like a psychologist in the body of a physical therapist. I, I think I've shared that with you in the past. Yeah, I think you are. Yeah. And I'm just intrigued by human behavior. Jay and I, the author of The One Thing. So Jay Papasan co-authored a book, The One Thing, that was published in about mm-hmm. 2013 with his co-author, Gary Keller, who founded mm-hmm. Keller Williams Real Estate. Keller Williams Real Estate mm-hmm. is a really big real estate company. And Something they talk a lot about in their book is mastery, self-mastery and purpose and core values. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting as we were talking about those things, you and I have spoken about many of those things as well. And I think mastery is something that in a way is easier than it ever was because we get the information from the sources through things like this on Zoom and podcasts. But mm-hmm. at the same time, because of how much technology we're inundated with, it's easy to give up on things before you ever even get decent at it. For me, 
I've decided that one of my biggest things is this podcast to share through this platform. I'm now calling it or saying, just made a t-shirt actually, figuring out life and how to make the best of it. Essentially, Uh if I had to boil it down, you and I have talked about whether it's injuries or beyond injuries. I've really wanted to push myself, not away from the injuries, but towards the greater purpose for me, which I feel connected to helping people figure out how to make the best of their lives. So what better topic for you and I to talk about than motivation? Right. Yeah. It all comes down to motivation and drive and passion. It's a big question, motivation. What is that exactly? Yeah. And where it comes from. That's what I'm wondering. And that's why I wanted to speak with you because I've gone over the last three or four months, I've gone through a deep dive first of going into science, actually getting towards consciousness. One must go through these things if you want to understand what potentially, at least potentially consciousness is. And now with the AI world, a lot of people are very intrigued by the this word consciousness. Yeah, it's a big question. It's a big question. And the reason I bring this up is because for me with motivation, I think we must also question consciousness because mm-hmm. where it comes from to me is I'm calling it like my trillion dollar question. Where does our motivation come from? So I'll leave that as a starting point. For me, I'm a big believer in the theory behind the self-determination theory, right? Their basic assumption where it, it comes from us being an organism, human being. We have an inherent propensity for growth. It's natural. It's in our DNA. Right. Every person has this drive and tendency for growth. Right. It's coded in our DNA. So this is where I come from. This is what I believe in. You don't need to tell when you grow a tree or a plant. You don't need to encourage it or tell it or all you need to do is provide it with certain needs and it will happen automatically. So. It's part of us. Motivation is something that is part of us. We don't need to make it happen. We just need to facilitate. And we do have those cognitive, social cognitive approaches where motivation is basically an incentive-based type of thing when people are more driven by rewards. But their approach is more as a practitioner or a therapist or a trainer. You would focus more on shaping, like training controlling, right? But as far as organismics approach, the self-determination theories, and when we talk about intrinsic motivation, it's more about supporting, nurturing, providing psychological needs or other needs, which we can expand on and talk about. So I think human beings are inherently motivated for self-actualization and and things like that. Glad you're talking about self-actualization and the conditions helps. It brings me to Maslow, Abraham Maslow, Mm. who was a pioneer in this area. As I did my research preparing for us talking and me talking to some other people on this topic, I was brought to Maslow. And I was really curious and surprised, actually, Maslow. It was around not that long ago in the 20th century. Yeah. 
And reeling it back in to what you said about the conditions and that hierarchy of needs to be met, I guess we can talk about what the conditions are, but also the differences from person to person, how our motivations are shaped or our drive is shaped differently from one to another and how those conditions might affect us. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Of course, there are always some individual differences, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs basically talks about those basic needs all the way up to self-actualization. And when the first tier is met, then we can move up to the next one and then next one. And this way people can reach the point of self-actualization, right? But first we have to provide with those basic needs. Maslow also addresses and talks about physiological needs and safety needs, which things like employment and resources and help. And also the, the self-determination theory focuses more on the three specific psychological needs. Those three th- psychological needs basically are autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And autonomy does not mean independent, right? It does mean that, you know, the need to feel in control of your own actions and decisions. And competence, the need to feel that you are capable of carrying out the task. And relatedness is the sense of belonging, being part of something, a community, right? Or people who care for you. I think all people benefit from when those needs are satisfied. That improves across the board. Now, the question is, do I need more? particular person will benefit from a greater sense of autonomy or a lesser of sense of autonomy, things like that. This, I think, where those individual differences basically become more relevant. Then you'll address their sense of competence, mastery. And I wonder, there's a lot of different things to expand on with each of these three elements of autonomy, competency, and relatedness. And also, human behavior is so complex. And you asked when we, in the beginning, you asked what consciousness is, right? And for me, consciousness is complexity, right? Mm-hmm. The systems that are so complex, I, w- I think personally that at some point they probably develop some type of consciousness, right? And then try to take that complexity, human behavior complexity, and uh, put it in boxes and label them and say, all right, this is generalized anxiety disorder, and that is a dep- major depression. You're saying that one day, perhaps if we were able to reproduce human consciousness, then we could understand, better understand states of consciousness that are affected by certain mental conditions. I'm, I'm conditions. pretty confident about that. Yeah. So I guess I'm going to just take a deep dive with you. Do you believe, or where do you believe ultimately these things come from. Do we have ability to consciously to, to make a decision or to dictate the path or does it come from something else? I would say that 95% of it is pre-programming and we, have, we do have the 5% that is in our control. As long as we are able to utilize it in the right moment and it's like you have an opening, right? You have openings mm-hmm. where, all right, now I can exert my will and make that change and shift things over or change my behavior or make a different decision. So it's like we have those brief moments, I don't know, in a fight, right? You try and hit the other person. Moments where there is that, there is that opening. 
Yeah. And you have to seize that moment. Ah, uh, and to be able to get to that point where you see the opening, there has to be an intentionality of knowing. Always try and get there, and then when it comes, you want you have to seize it. Right. Well, let me ask you this: the biggest take home. Let's talk specifically to those out there that are struggling with exactly what you said. They are being self tyrannical forcing themselves to do things and not getting it done. And I really need to be doing these things. What's that smallest domino that they need to, to tip over first for them to get to the point where they can increase their, their execution by getting themselves to the maybe I want to or I, I should or what would you say to them? I would ask them first, why, they, would they, why do they want to make that change? Why do they want to, for example, become more physically active? First, you want to ask the question. Why they, what's the driving force, right? And then how you're going to do that in a manner that doesn't violate certain psychological aspects or needs, right? You want to design it and build it around your schedule, right? I think a lot of times people have these very rigid concepts. I have to wake up early and then I'll be more productive, things like that. No, ask yourself what works for you, right? Works around your own schedule. See, don't be so self-critical, right? And see whether there are ways where you can create situations or engage in activities where you have a lot of social interaction. People who care for you, care about you, group activities, things like that. They, if you're missing a session, they ask, where were you? Where have you, you were? Where have you been? Why we didn't see you last week? Things like that, right? Those things help promote motivation. And that's something that is very common and we all know about it. Start little steps, baby steps, right? You want to also break down any complex exercises into smaller manageable steps because slowly, gradually you build that sense of competence and mastery and accomplishment, right? And that will lead to greater motivation greater enjoyment, greater confidence in your ability. Those things are at the core of promoting, building motivation and enjoyment. You got to have fun. Thank you so much. Teasing ahead, because I think maybe we need to be having a longer conversation. Mm -hmm. It it clearly appears to me. And you don't have to go in depth, but I'm just going to leave it on this. Are there times when mental toughness, discipline, and just being harder on yourself come into play. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We'll we'll leave it at that. Yeah. We'll leave that. Absolutely. We'll leave it. That's a very important piece, but it's all, yeah, but we can leave that for another. Sounds good. I'm looking forward Mm -hmm. to that because that's going to be fun. So as I was talking to Dr. Zur, I realized that we were trying to cover some really massive topics And as always, we ended up going off on different tangents, but I think it was really important for everybody to hear about self-determination theory and intrinsic motivation. And as Dr. Zur talks about the conditions we can put ourselves in or those we're working with to be more intrinsically motivated. Now, of course, there's also extrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation is definitely going to be something we explore more in future episodes. We did also speak a lot about anger and how you can leverage that. Instead of me spoiling ahead right now, I want to save that for an episode about emotions and anger alone. But shifting gears a little bit, I wanted to shift this a little bit away from the psychology side and speak with an expert on achieving goals. 
somebody that himself has done it with his own career. That's Jay Papazan, who I mentioned earlier at the beginning of this podcast. It was unreal for me to get the opportunity to do this interview with Jay because the book he wrote, The One Thing, and the concept it proposes is something that I've tried to focus on a lot for myself. After listening to him on a few of my favorite podcasts with Amy Porterfield and Pat Flynn, I took it to heart. So I said to myself, I have to talk to Jay himself about what he recommends when it comes to motivating ourselves, not only to be consistent, but also where we should be placing our motivation. If we're going to accomplish extraordinary things in our lives, what does that process look like? And how does motivation fit in at all? I've always been an intrinsically motivated person. And when I read your book, and thought about who would be good to speak with about this, you came to mind because I think something that everybody struggles with is that piece of willpower, what we choose to put our focus on. And I'm just intrigued by the idea of being able to freely really choose your thing. And I guess if I had one question to ask you, and please go anywhere you want. Yeah years after you published your book, what do you think the big number one thing is for people to choose their one thing? Map it backwards. Like we talk about purpose, right? You have a sense of purpose. You often can then find your priority. And if you're working on your priorities, you're going to be productive. And it took us a while to kind of line those up. Just like purpose, like said, purpose in this is about what's your mission. What are you here for? What ultimately do you want to accomplish? I struggled with that, being honest, David. It's like, I can get really motivated by goals. I also intrinsically motivated person. But to back up and try to articulate where that comes from can be difficult. One of my coaches, and I think having coaches in your life is really important. I just said, it's really hard to read the label from inside the box. Chatting with my wife, best friend, working with my coach, started to really work hard on articulating what was driving me. When I was really proud of things, what was behind that? When I really felt disappointment in myself, what was behind that? And that can take a little journey. Go to a cafe, if that's your thing, and take a journal and think about it hard. Where, what, why am I here? One trick that we've really unlocked in the last four or five years, so much so that we made a product for it, but is getting people to talk about their core values. And there's lots of free exercises. And we do some that are just a PDF in our training. If people are struggling to get to their mission statement, which I think is heavy, at least it was for me, it feels, oh, this is momentous. Yes. Core values feels a little bit easier. Like I'm taking a snapshot. So I've talked a lot about that. You can tell me how deep you want me to go down this rabbit hole. But basically, there's all kinds of resources out there, right? This is good psychology out there that will show like, here a classic table of 100 values that people tend to prize. We make people go through there with those decks. They have to end with three in order and priority. And for several years, for me, it was family impact and abundance. I knew that 
two tattoos to remind me that my first role in life is to be a great husband and a great father. Mm-hmm. And I know that's two things. And everybody points that out with the one thing, but it's my family hat. And I, I had to put a rank on it, right? I've got kids and they're like, I'm like, I want to role model my relationship with your mom. Because if you're lucky to find someone you love that much, like that's going to be one of the most viable relationships in your life. If there's a burning building, yes, I'm going to come and grab the kids. Wendy right. can take care of herself. But that relationship gets priority time. Impact is the number one driver for me. And abundance, it used, I used to have wealth there. I didn't like it because what I really want is for people to get out of a scarcity mindset and myself included. So whatever translates to that, it could be money. It could be time. Abundance shows up in different ways. So I've played with it. I dated it for a while. And today at the top of my goals, which I keep with me, I see you're writing notes. I keep a journal with me. I keep my goals document with me everywhere I go. And at the top, it says impact family abundance. Mm. It's just a reminder to me, if those are my top three core values, if I'm making a big decision, I want to start a new business or work on a new book, it better be a nine out of 10 on all three of those for me to say yes to it. So now I've got criteria, just when I'm out investing, does this property cash flow? It can get me to a clearer answer than, I know a lot of people talk about Derek, Derek Sivers on the Tim Ferriss podcast. He talks about if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Mm-hmm. I like that broadly, but that's not good enough for me. You could say, I got Ben and Jerry's and I want to say, hell yes. I'll fall prey to things in the short run. I'll stop there. I, to me, that's the foundation. Now I know what direction I'm headed in. Mm-hmm. It's a direction that keeps me close with my family, where I'm making an impact and I'm creating abundance for myself mm-hmm. and others. And you line up one dot, you can draw an arrow anywhere. You get mm-hmm. two dots, you're going somewhere, but you don't instruction. You get three dots, it's pretty mm-hmm. clear which way you should be heading. And what I love about that is it also tells you all the directions you get to say no to. And saying no to something is easy. Saying yes mm-hmm. to something's hard. Because if you actually say yes, it means by default you said to no to everything that might get in the way of that thing. Yeah. And I don't think most people understand how to say yes that way. So No, I'm getting beyond motivation. I think my motivation is drawn from an intrinsic need to be faithful to those values. I know that when I break them, I feel great disappointment in myself. I don't like that feeling, but I don't think you or I can motivate anybody, not even our kids, but I think we can help them discover their source of their motivation. And when they are losing touch with it, we can remind them. My coach brings me back to those values. When he senses I'm off track, he'll say, okay, how does this line up with your values? How does this line up with where you want to be in five to 10 years? Am I making a short-term or a long-term decision? Jay, first of all, I want to go back to what you said about your tattoos. So I'll share this with you. This is my why. So I grew up in New York, so that's a Mets logo. Instead of Mets- Hey, I'm a New York Mets fan. All right. Get out of town. Why are you a Met man? <laughs> okay, finish your story. I'll give you the Met story. Go ahead. All right, so let me let me continue. Dad 
Dad died in 2006. He was always sick his whole life. He had kidney disease. So Sandlot, heroes get remembered. Legends never die. Always believe. Best. Not the best. I'm a Field of Dreams guy, but this is so my why. I played collegiate baseball and I grew up in Long Island where baseball's pretty, pretty good. But for me, my why is being that underdog and wanting to prove people wrong. Now, I can't tell you where that comes from other than I can say it's the environment. I can say that I was learning disabled. I can say that I was shorter. I can say that my dad was this great man. These are all true things. But what I can't tell you is if it really came from that or if it was bestowed on me. And this goes into the spiritual side. I think any good physicist will go into the spiritual side. And I think any good human being will explore the spiritual side. And that's one thing that I got from the one thing with you and Gary, where it's very clear to me in talking to you now that the spiritual piece is very much a part of it. And I like to look at the spiritual piece now as just the unknown. That's really very much what my podcast is investigating. What, where do these things come from? And why motivation? I just don't know where we get these things from. And all I can say is it comes from something else. I didn't create it or manufacture it, but something you just said in that conversation we just had about being open and receptive, I think, is a key that is a very fundamental yet overlooked thing. Everyone talks about meditation and the benefits of it, but really just being able to connect to what's important to you is probably what it's about. I mean, they call it a calling for a reason, right? It feels mm-hmm. like it's coming from outside. You've been called to something. I don't know the answers. These are thousand-year-old questions we're talking about now. Yeah. But I have to ask the question of myself and trust that I'm on a path to getting clearer and clearer about the answer. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people, especially today, are too busy, too preoccupied. I mean, we have innumerable opportunities to do things, right? We're a a couple clicks from our phone away from just about anything in the world. Mm -hmm. We also have in modern life, depending on where you are, a lot of obligations. I've got two kids about on their way to college. I've got my dad passed away last year. I've got an aging mom. My wife's stepmom passed away earlier this week. She's still got her dad. So you've got these responsibilities on both sides. Am I being a good son? Am I being a good dad? Am I being a good husband? Am I being a good brother? And you can find yourself where you just feel like you're adrift in the rapids. You fell out of the boat and they throw you a life raft, but until you get out of the rapids, nobody's picking you up. And I think that it's just really important just to, we can look inside and ask like, why do we get Matt Raft to begin with? And start yeah. trusting our answers and we really are lost. Like then go to the people who know us best. Mm-hmm. Why do you think I took this job? Why do you think I got into sports? Yeah. There are people, like I said, it's hard to read the label from the inside of the box. Mm. They, they should know us and love us for exactly who we are. And often it's like blatantly obvious to them. And it's harder for us to see, maybe because it's uncomfortable. So anyway, I just think it's, a, it's something I try to coach young people to start asking before they get so caught up. They just don't have the headspace to really think about it. 
look back. You have to live a little life too, David. What are the decisions when you think back that you're the most proud of making? Car decisions. What are some of the decisions you made that embarrass you today that you really regret deeply? And it's in those deep regrets and really abiding sense of fulfillment, a lot of times are all the clues we need. One of the best book reviews I ever got is I was talking to a guy who bought my book and he asked me for advice on how to connect with his kids. And I just recycled some. I just said, for about seven years, I was the drop-off dad. And someone told me that like all the actions on the way to school, on the way home, I saw it. When I got home, we're at the dinner table. We always ate together. I'd be like, what happened today? Oh, nothing. Nothing. A wise, I think dad actually said, you need to take part of that because on the way to school, they're nervous and they're talking about it and asking questions. And on the way home, they're excited about it and want to share it. But after that, you just miss out on everything. And so I started taking him to school and I just said, I would park a few blocks away and walk them like the last quarter mile because that extended the ability to have a conversation. And I wasn't, I also needed to focus on not hitting a small child with a car in school traffic. And he wrote me like six months later and just said, I started walking my daughter to school and it's made everything in my life better. And I'll never forget that. I, that's one of my all-time favorite reviews. It's such a small thing, helping someone get closer in a relationship. But that, to me, helped me articulate impact. Are you referring to the portion of the review? Was that referring to towards the end of the book of the story with the son and the father? That uh, Oh, no. That, oh, that's a good oh. story. I'm proud of you for reading all the way to the end. Not everybody makes it there, even on a short book. No, if I was going to talk to you, I was going to listen to the entire book, and I did. As the book goes on, you realize that the concept actually, in its simplicity, is actually a little, it's much more complex in the sense of the one thing is not one thing. It's the one thing in the moment that is yeah, the one thing. You can only focus thing. on one thing at a time. Nobody, right. that, that's why we use the domino metaphor. Mm-hmm. It's an acknowledgement that we all have a lot of crap in our lives. But if we look around strategically, there are these domino runs and some of them we can actually set up. Like my wife, every weekend, like we do four workouts a week, but her fourth workout is always with her best friend. And for her, that allows her to, one, check the box on her goals for physical fitness, but she's also getting, it's that four and a half hour, four and a half mile walk around town lake here in Austin. They're spending a lot of quality time. They're talking, they're engaging. Mm-hmm. So it's like, she's lined up two really important dominoes. And I just know, I ask her, are you walking on Saturday or Sunday? Because I know that morning's off limits. Mm-hmm. And so I think most people aren't acting appropriately in the moment, David, because they don't know what their priority is right now, which is why we've all been there. We're the asshole on a dinner date with our phone out instead of being present with someone we say that we love. Like when I'm speaking with you right now and I'm thinking, it's funny, this week, the alarm got shifted back an hour. That's the biggest action that has already occurred for me from the book has changed that darn hour. And I'll be honest, today was actually the first day I did it. And I think that's going to add up tremendous, going to end up exponentially. A big hack 
it makes it really easy is a lot of people, when the time change happens, if you're in daylight savings in the fall, just keep getting up at the same time. So there's zero like sleep issues. Your body is literally in the same, waking up at the same time. You're going to find that you want to go to bed earlier. My wife and I generally get up between, I want to say 5.30 and 5.45 every day. Some days I wake up before 5 a.m. I've become, I was trained to get up early by my kids. Our youngest Gus was born. Uh, I took morning duty. Like my wife would have to get up in the night and do a feeding. She wasn't able to breastfeed. So we would have bottles for me. He was always up before 6 a.m. And as a writer, I love to watch movies and read books. I would often stay up late. Now, I could sleep in like a champ. <laughs> it was important for me to do my part of that job. And, and it's really lovely holding your first child in the morning light and feeding them while they grab your fingers. There's just a wonderful memories of that time. No regrets. But he trained me to wake up early and I just did never stop. When we started this book, it became something I got very purposeful. I want my morning time. It's my time. It's my wife's and I's time. We work out, we read, I journal, right? There's so much important stuff that gets done before most people are awake. Jay, it's, it brings me to asking you this question. Before you started working with Gary and doing that work, I know you were writing books together for a long time. It seems like from the outside hearing you speak, you've gotten more productive or at least you've pushed yourself even further as you've had more work probably on your plate. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. I know you talk about early on in your career with real estate when you were you zigzagged through a different route to, to be more efficient. Has two-part question, has it gotten easier or more difficult to stay productive in your career? And you got yourself to the right position, to the right situation to evolve to what you've done. So I'm kind of curious to unpack how you got there in the first place. And then number two is, has it gotten easier or more difficult? I think of generally having two chapters in my life. There's all my life up until I met my wife and Gary Keller. And I came from a great family, loving family. And I learned how to pay credit card early and balance the checkbook. Like I was taught some fiscal responsibility. I was on a career path. My dad was a good executive and he was the kind of leader that empowered people. So he's a great role model. But then there was all this other stuff that just didn't show up or wasn't articulated. And then uh, my wife, like definitely a game changer. And then Gary's coming from this place of models and being an investor and business owner. It was a little bit harder for me to run into that in the pre-podcast internet days than it is for people now. There was no Amy Porterfield podcast or Pat Flynn. It was like so easy. Not that it's easy. There's just a lot more access to the knowledge you need and awareness that you might need it. But he's feeding me books like, here's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Here's The Millionaire Next Door. You need to read this. You need to read this book. It's really dated, sexist, but listen for the nuggets. Because that was right. written in the 80s, right? right. But here's right. what you need to know. And so I got a mentor that was more than just a boss. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he pretty much would allow me to open any door if I was the one that 
carry the business through it. So if I wanted ownership, I had to do X. We want to start the business, I had to do X. And if I did that, then yes. So he wasn't going to do it for me and gift it to me, but he also wasn't going to stand in the way if we both got to win. And I feel like I was always naturally curious. I've always been a voracious reader. I've always been pretty damn competitive. But like with Gary, what was natural and entrepreneurial became very purposeful. He didn't, he just, he's not just trying to do those things. He wants to do them the best he can. And if you want to stay in a circle, you've got to be on that journey to self-mastery, period, end of story. And the moment you prove that you're not, then you'll find yourself drifting out of a circle. And I've seen it happen. I've been here 23 years and I love that. I love growth. I love personal development. Like I'm my own worst critic, but I, I enjoy it. That to me is very fulfilling. Asking, could I do this better next time? So here's the thing. If you are living a life with self-mastery, like you're trying to be the best version of yourself, you're always growing. And I think because in real time, you just don't realize that you are getting stronger. So you're asking if it got easier. I actually think the challenges that I face today, my wife and own parts of 11 different businesses, okay? Very complex world in some ways that we try to keep it simple. The challenges we face now are much more daunting than they were 10 years ago, but we've also been getting stronger for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got me, you played baseball, you worked with baseball players. The little league pitcher that can hit the coach pitch, they have to grow a lot to hit a major league baseball. But it could be the same kid. It's just you're catching them in different moments. New levels bring new devils. I think of kind of that that phrase. So what you said really resonates. And I appreciate the candor, the, the honesty there, because I think a lot of us, one of my favorite books is The Tools by Phil Stutzky and Barry Michaels, the, the Netflix series, Stutz, that was that came out yeah. that everyone, and I couldn't I believe read that. Oh, it's a life-changing book. Phil it's Stutz. on my list. It's, yeah, don't know spoilers. It's a life-changing <laughs> book. But I'll just say this then. There's this exoneration thing. People expect to one day in their lives be exonerated. I see it as a physical therapist. A lot of times people feel... I graduated from rehab. Now I've graduated. So I can't have this happen again. I don't have to go back to college. But the truth is, we don't get exonerated in life. You might get, who knows what your diagnosis will be in five years. And so- Either you're um, thriving or you're decaying. I don't think there's a place where we don't get to hibernate in place. Correct. We wrote about this a little bit in the part about balance. Balance, a balanced life is not some destination where you've made it, I'm here. No, it's an act. You have to do it all the time. Yeah, you're right. Like you don't graduate from anything. You graduate to what's next and hopefully you're stronger. And that's why like that mantra is is right now, do hard things. But it's true. If you build the habit of challenging yourself and physical exercise is a great place to build mental strength. Oh, I used to dealing with failure because every Friday I right. fail on the bench press, right? I saying that literally, I have a trainer and I fail, but he tells me to go to failure and I don't track it that well. But like, well, not enough, 
then I actually like, yeah, of course, that's part of the growth pattern. I'm going to fail. And that's what breaks down the muscles. And that's how they get strong. We're not the top business kids. Something as simple as that is what time do you have to go? You just saw me looking not at the clock, but at my water bottle. Okay. <laughs> so the hour at the latest, I think I'll okay. let you know I'm solo dad. My, my mom, my wife had to go home for a stepmom's funeral. So I've got older kids. They're not going to burn the house down, but I'll still have to order like we do pizza Friday nights and I'm going to try to talk them into watching a movie with me. What, kind, what movie are you going to watch? I don't know. Mom's not there. We can watch a war movie or something cool or an anime. I don't know. We'll do something fun. I've been just, I've been just totally infatuated with shows like Ted Lasso right now. If it's oh not gosh, Ted Lasso. We we're all caught up as of last night. It is a feel good show. I love it. I love Jason Sudeikis and that. But there is something you said about the bench pressing that I want to share. Okay. And it's something about bench pressing. I don't know what it is. I think it's scary. So I used to be a lot bigger and stronger than I am now. I used to bench 335 pounds. And I think in my head, yeah, when I was 23. and I've never I, benched my own body weight, dude. I try to do strength training. Most people haven't. But yeah. Most people haven't. But, yeah. but when you have that kind of weight, it's terrifying. It's scary because you think of that thought, I can maybe drop this on my neck. And if that happens... But you don't really hear too many stories about people dying bench pressing. But there's this adrenaline thing that happens when you start putting weight on that bar, no matter what the weight is for you, relatively speaking. And it gets scary. And I think that's representative on the macro side of what happens in life when we go for it. It's yeah. scary. And as we're going week to the gym, we say, you know what, I'm going to put a two and a half pound incremental increase on the bar. And you build up your confidence a little bit. But in the back of your mind, you're touring with a question. I don't know if I can do this. I might actually fail at this. And I think you're 100% right. And I think that's what we do need to encourage people to do, no matter how trite it sounds, of don't just be easy on yourself. You have to take that risk because people that sit where you're sitting or your counterpart or anybody, I've been able to work with some athletes that are actually successful, a Yadier Molina or a Matt Holiday, these individuals did not ever say to themselves, I'm just going to see how it goes this year. They're pushing the throttle. And when you're going to write your big book or you're writing your next book, you're taking a risk in some way. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, I love what you just said. They're going full throttle and they're actually professional athletes. There's no option for them. They can't stay where they are surrounded by people that are some of them genetic freaks are like to stay even competitive it takes exceptional effort but my point was and one of the points of the one thing is you can't do that everywhere better than probably 99 percent of the population what kind of training goes in to being a, an actual professional athlete i would wager there's that kind of effort into being a real professional in almost any endeavor, right? I know how much it goes in if I want to be a great content creator, a writer. And all the years that led up to my ability to write the next paragraph, it's not what I did just this week. It's all of the years right. that added up to the next paragraph. For Molina or whoever throwing out that player stealing second, 
that goes all the way back to like right. seventh grade and learning to snap his wrist and the additive stuff. People underestimate that. But yeah. you can't do that everywhere. So you can make choices, though. I firmly believe you can have an amazing professional life and have an amazing home life. Maybe you don't get to watch every season of Game of Thrones. Maybe you don't get right to sleep in late every Saturday afternoon. You will have to make choices, say no to other stuff, if you want a few important things in your life to be actually extraordinary. Does that make sense? Yes. I feel so fortunate to be able to talk to you because your book came to me many times over the... You want to hear a funny story? I bought the wrong book trying to listen to the one thing. I forget the name of the book. I think it's called The One Big Thing or something along those lines. But about three, four years ago... Was it Ed Millett's book? It wasn't wasn't Ed Millett. It was somebody else. And it had a Southern or a Texas accent. But anyway, (laughs) I'm going all around. But I ended up listening to three quarters of it. And I think halfway into it, I was like, I don't think this is the right book. And the point being like, there's something very fundamental about what you're talking about and what you embody that's so important for me to hear. Something I've had to hear because I have a focus issue, or I shouldn't claim it, but I've had a focus issue. And I've had coaches tell me- Literally ADHD level of focus, or you just were like a regular human being that chased some shiny objects when you should. I don't know. I am extreme. So I wrote a book I have a hundred episodes of the podcast where this is 101. Like I am a, I have the hyper-focus. I had a learning disability, an IEP, the whole deal. I was probably misdiagnosed with a speech, I was diagnosed with a speech impairment, but I've done all these things since I graduated from PT school with my doctor in 2012, created an app, then try to create this company and that company. Everybody that's talked to me and met me over time, they say, Dave, if you sit still in one place long enough, you are going to be really freaking successful, but that's your Achilles heel. And I think in the back of my mind, and I'm hearing you talk about priorities, and I've heard very successful people say the same thing. Their values or their pillars, some people will call them. People know them that at least, I guess, are able to have the bar in life and professional life high. There's something very important about having those three that quickly for you, family impact and abundance. It's curious to get really clear about that, just for the record. Like I just sat down one Saturday morning with a cup of coffee and figured myself out. Yeah. To go ahead, I had to approach it with some purpose and it was fine, but it was great. Like I, I knew pretty quickly I wanted family to be there. I hoped it would be up front. It's not. Like I, after years of living with that, I realized I make more decisions and I'm happier about them around impact than I do purely around just family. You get dialed in and it can take some time. I'll say this, whoever said that is correct. (laughs) But the thing everybody worries about is, am I staying on this one thing too long and it's not the right thing? So here's something that Gary coached me on once. He goes, I think people spend far too much effort trying to figure out making the right choice rather than making the choice they make right. Okay. So, now, this doesn't mean if you're in a horrible, abusive relationship, you should try to make that right. So let's go within the bounds of reason here. But 
people spend a lot of time and a lot of energy going, is this the right thing? Versus saying, can I make this right? And okay. I've gone ahead and just bet my life on content. I used to love to read fiction. When I was a kid, I thought maybe fiction writing. I became an editor. But I know words, content has been a theme now for 40 plus years. Are those a lot of the books you wrote? Oh, God, no. Oh, okay. Those are right there. That little stuff plus those two. Okay. So, and, sorry, I didn't need a to lot cut of books at HarperCollins because I was an editor. I got to work on a lot of books, but I could only take credit for the editorial content of some of them. Some edits just cleaning things up. So you're really working with the author, but you learn a lot. So I was asked this question the other day. I realized with Gary, the thing he didn't have in his life, and he could have written a check for it. He didn't have someone who could do content and be a partner with them and let their ego go to the side because his name is in big le bigger letters. And there's a reason for that. He's the one who founded a number one real estate company in the world. Great. I, it, I got that. Not everybody's willing to do that sort of partnership long-term. But my ability to do that job and help him tell his story in the beginning has opened up a lot of doors for me. Just like him, never really leaving real estate sales. He still talks to real estate agents. He's not up here in the boardroom. He's really talking to the people that are out there in the field doing the job. And he remains very close and very significantly understanding that. He's never left it. Like he jokes, I'll have a realtor put on my grace. But that is what's opened the ability for him to write books. He loves books. He spends all of his free time in bookstores and music stores. But now he's got a band with some of his favorite artists in it. We underestimate how five years of effort, one thing that's clearly given number one status, how far we can go. And how extraordinary that is. Very few people, like you've done a hundred episodes. That's about two years of content if you're doing this weekly. Three, three, yeah, January 2020. There's not many people who make it past the third or fourth episode. You're already in a very tiny group of practitioners. But how much better will you be at this in episode 250? I hope being a lot better, but. Well, if you're paying any attention at all, you will be better. Consciously or unconsciously, you'll get better at that thing you do. People just underestimate how much effort goes into truly being extraordinary, and they're unwilling to go there. But by going there and giving up a lot in the short run, they get all those things that everybody is chasing at the same time early on and not really getting. So that feels very contradictory. To go really big, you go small. I get very it. Narrow, very narrow. I, I get it to the point where it rings through me clear as day what you're saying. Good. I have a question though. Um, can you Is this relate still on to how the hell I'm a Mets fan when I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee? But we can. I'm going to hold that yeah. one. We're going to talk about that before we're done. This is it. This is it. This is that. One of the interesting things about podcasting is like art imitating life, limiting art. I guess I experienced that in my own little world of what's for me here and what's for people. And is there a difference? People are following you because they're curious about the things that you're curious. 
And I'm, what I'm curious about here is have you and do you deal with this? So I don't know if you experience this with success in your life. I almost feel, Jay, at times like there's a hundred million people to the side of me pushing around and I'm about to lose my, in any given moment, I could just, yep, you're done, kid. I don't know if other people experience that. Oh, yeah, they do. They do. I remember I was working with an author, Stefan Swanepoel, a South African guy who wrote, he wanted to write a fable and he asked for some coaching. And I don't coach. Nobody reached out to me. I just did it as a friend. And I remember him going up on stage and sharing a lot of stuff that were on trade secrets for what he did. And I was like, do you ever worry about sharing all this stuff out in public? And he goes, Jake, you know how many people say they want things and how few people even pursue them, much less successfully pursue them. For every thousand people, I say, here's the secret. Maybe one will go do it. And the odds that we're fighting over the same customer are incredibly low. It seems like you've had amazing mentors in your life. And I feel like that was a big piece for me, be a mentor. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's probably, if you, it, that would impress me if I saw someone that then it tried to help others, it would make me want to help them too. I was talking to Gary about this in the last podcast that just dropped. And I love the conversation. Gary and I have made commitments to be on the path to mastery of what we're doing. And this, the farther along you get, because you can see the nuance, you see all the crap that you still don't do well. It's called the Dunning-Kruger or Kruger-Dunning effect. And, and it explains teenagers. People who are the least adept often imagine that they're the most expert at things. And the people who have most skills often think of themselves as being inept. Beginners a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I've got two teenage boys. And their sense confidence, unfounded confidence, is extraordinary at times. It just makes me laugh because that's part of life. But we're both committed to trying to just be better versions of ourselves every day, every year, every month, whatever. If I recognize people making that same kind of commitment. Within a couple of sentences, when we talk about, tell me about your training regimen or whatever, and you realize, oh, this person's all in. And the moment I know they're all in, I'm 100% ready to help them out. Sure. And I think that's, that, that's just true. Sure. I wrote a blog about post about it today called Game Sees Game. And it's just this idea that we recognize each other, people ahead of you and people behind you. And it's like we have some sort of secret signals like, hey, I'm committed. You're committed. Let me know if you need a leg up. But first off, live what you say you want to live. And the other thing is with mentors, I think it was Adam talked about five minute favors. Ask for small favors in the beginning and then demonstrate that you did the thing that you asked about. If you asked to borrow a book, go read the damn book and say, man, I read it. I hated it. Or maybe I missed the point. I don't care if they don't like it. Maybe I gave them the wrong book, but I want to know that they tried. So like the people who tell me they're too smart to take my advice, I don't really want to deal with them ever again. Why are you asking me if you think you're smarter than me? Yeah. Humble and hardworking. I think it's pretty cool. It sounds like both of us are, I don't know if you were alluding to mastering podcasting, but that's something I'm definitely hoping to do. I still think to myself, I don't know if I'm actually good at this or not. So if you listen to my podcast now, 
it's this NPR sounding like thing. I'm trying to go down this pathway of all these other podcasts do it this way. I got to figure out a way to do it my way. And so I, I really relate to the things you're saying. But the, the reason I asked you the question too back was just, I sometimes get that fear. I'm doing this for a long time and not seeing the results. But I know in the bottom of my heart that this is the right, this is the one thing for me. I know it and I believe it. So are you clear on the results that you want and expect? Yes, but I'm afraid to say it out loud, but I'm going to say it out loud. I want to be financially independent with the podcast and with speaking and coaching. This whole idea of time zero being the moment of injury and beyond zero is going, utilizing that moment of time zero, your lowest point of going beyond. And what does beyond mean? Beyond is a very interesting word to me. It can mean anything. But when I look at a guy like Rich Roll, or I look at a podcast, The School of Greatness, Lewis Howes, When I look at their podcasts, there's a little voice inside me that says, well, no offense to them, but fuck them. I worked with professional athletes for three years. I've been a PT for 10 and a half years. I've had billionaire clients, VIP clients. I've worked with this. I've worked with more people than they've worked with. When they've been at their lowest point, I am going to get to that point. I am going to have a podcast that is on that level and I'm going to compete, not compete with them, but I want to be in that space for Jay Shetty. That's my, that's the result I'm looking for. Cool. Then you have to start reverse engineering it. Start figuring it out. Like one thing you can't do is go back in time when there are a lot fewer podcasts and build your audience. But I would acknowledge what are the biggest things that biggest mountains I have to climb. And right now it's discoverability. If you really want the anchor of your future dream to be you in front of a microphone, it's really hard to be discovered these days, even if you're amazing. So you'll have to do something beyond just create good content to do that. Having I mean, this game for a while, man. We launched our podcast in 2015. Having great people on like you is going to help me. I know that. So I'm going yeah, to, I'm going to get, helps. I'm going to get, I'm going to get there closer. And the big thing for me is not discrediting the speaking and the coaching. All right. Tell me about the Mets. Tell me about the Mets. Oh, okay. So this is a part of my book life. One of my cousins, Nancy Kenny worked in the legal department of Bantam Doubleday Dell. She'd been, she's a career publishing legal person. And I was very fond of my great aunt, Katie, that was her mom. But I'd only met him a few times because they lived in Staten Island and I lived in Memphis, Tennessee. But yeah. if you work in publishing, you get a lot of free books. And so for whatever reason, she heard that I was a reader and probably starting in about fourth or fifth grade, I would get every year at Christmas, a giant box shipped from whatever publishing company she was working at, just full of any book that she thought I might like, like an illustrated book of King Arthur or whatever, like some of them books I still have on my shelves. But I just remember getting so excited about, wow, she works in publishing. She's going to send me the free box of books. And Aunt Katie, she found out I wanted to be a writer and she said, so the best writers are baseball fans because baseball is all about the stories they get told. We see that players' faces. They're not behind helmets. And she's, you got to read Shoeless Joe Jackson. You've got to read The Boys of Summer. And she has, I, she had heard that my writing professor had been teaching me this too. And he was trying to get me to be a St. Louis or a Cubbies fan. But she's, don't you do that. You'd be a Mets fan. And she had a 1969 signed Tom Steverball. 
lifelong Mets fan. She goes, you become a Mets, and this will be yours someday. I went on a road trip to St. Louis, saw a doubleheader with the Mets, with some friends of mine that were a huge Mets fan. Get out of here. This is back in the days of Daryl Strawberry, all of that. Like, it was heydays. It was mid to late 80s. Yeah, it was seven. They were good in 87 too, but they fell apart. I think they went far in 87, but 88, I think they fell apart. Yeah. Oh yeah, they did. And they, except for that like brief Subway series in 2000, they've been really hard to be a fan of, but I've been a loyal fan. So I did it for and Katie. When I got married, that was my wedding gift. She gave me the Tom Seaver ball. And that's I so my cool. At home. Yeah. But it's yeah. like, it is fun to root for lovable losers. And there's so many my great things in the Mets. I have the entire 1969 Mets autographs. My dad grew up, he had a kidney disease. So a cousin got him the 1969 Mets autographs. And my dad was a ba- he was a freak with baseball. That's so crazy. But my first year with the Cardinals, Yachty sitting in my chair. He, he, the nicest guy in the world. Yadier Molina is a class freaking act. In 2006, Carlos Beltran strikeout, the three-pitch sequence by Bueno. I tell him, Yadi, I got a story for you. In 2006, when you struck out Beltran at three, three-pitch sequence, I was in SUNY Albany, and I was graduating that year, and I took my dorm room chair and I chucked it, and I hated you. And <laughs> I have to tell you, nine years later, I worked for the team that beat the Mets in 06. My dad died two weeks, three weeks after the Mets lost. My dad told me the Mets are not going to be the same for a while. He somehow knew. You remember the collapse in 08? Oh, yeah. When the, the stock market collapsed. And so that was what I thought was my big thing. And I achieved it. But the big thing evolved. Oh. Jay, thank All you. All right, man. Let, me, uh, let us know when this drops so we can, I can retweet it and whatever else. I think we're following each other on Instagram. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time for the little guys like me still. Hey, again, that's how I started. So I'm happy to pass it on, man. You be keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. I will. Let's go Mets. Thank you, Jack. Yes. Let's go Mets. So there you have it on motivation, willpower, where some of it comes from, and even goal achievement. Like any good podcast episode, I took you way out of the focus subject and hopefully got you thinking about more questions questions that we will explore in further episodes. For example, as my mentor, Dr. Zur alluded to, can anger provide us advantages as it pertains to our performance goals? And other questions, like how can you best identify your top three core values that Jay Papasan shared with us? I must say, I'm probably going to be the biggest fan of this episode, no matter what. Dr. Zur reminded me to stop being self-tyrannical with myself. I need to have the number one podcast versus why is it that I want the number one podcast in motivation, personal development? Well, of course, my why being my inspiration for my father and my own personal story, some of which I shared today. And Jay gave me hope that at the end of the day, we must think really small if we want to think really big. The topic of motivation can be its own podcast. And I hope many of you refer back to the things we discussed today in this episode, like intrinsic motivation, consciousness, and finding our sense of purpose. That's it for today. See the show notes for all appropriate links. 
Follow me on Instagram at Dave M. Meyer and YouTube, where I will also be sharing these interviews at length. Thanks for listening. Take care.